I have a scripture for you, a little bit of instruction, and then a few kind words. <laughs> the scriptures that I want to share with you are in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 41. And before we read them, I need to do just a little bit of background. What we've been talking about, I don't know if you noticed, but our country is in need of uh, healing. Uh, David had referenced it this morning, and uh, we could use a little bit of healing in our nation, in our cities. And healing is available, and Jesus was, is the great physician. He, he healed people, and then he taught his disciples how to heal people, and then he sent out 70 others, whoever they were, and, and gave them authority to heal people and to go to every city he was going to visit. And so then he just lays down this thing for his disciples and he said, the, the things that I've done, I want you to do as well. In fact, you'll do even greater things than I have done. And I don't know about you, but my mind can think of a lot of greater, you know, a lot of greater, but um, maybe, uh, maybe Gary's on to something there, uh, raising the dead or, you know, I don't know. But the, but the point is, the point is this, that Jesus was a healer. He is a healer. And then he says to his disciples, um, you guys are going to be instruments of healing as well. And it can be physical. It can be emotional. It can be spiritual. All of it is important. So um, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 41, uh, I'm going to read uh, two verses uh, to you. So then those who had received his words, the word was the word that Peter, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, the word that Peter had shared on the, 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 uh, the time or the event of Pentecost, those who received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls added to that group of 120 that had met together in an upper room. Just want to remind you for a moment that the church was literally born in a prayer meeting. Okay? That's our root. That's our heritage. That's where we started. And so then the next verse says, the, that group then, those 3,120, uh, they, they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Devoted themselves to four things. If the apostles' teaching, the apostles had to teach them what was new with the scriptures that they had had with respect to Jesus Christ. They needed to read the Old Testament through the lens that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything said in the Old Testament. And to fellowship, we talked about that last week, Fellowship is more than just having hot dogs and hamburgers. That's a good place to start. Someone used to say that if you, uh, if you show me a skinny Christian, I'll show you someone who's been out of fellowship, you know. We, we just have this thing for like fellowship and food goes together or something, you know. But it's more than food. It's actually breaking bread or having a time together where we share our hearts and what the Spirit of God is doing, like, for example, Annie shared what the Spirit of God was showing her, and uh, others got up and shared what the Spirit of God was showing them, 
And you put that together and there's a sort of a synergy. It just begins to create life within us. The Greek word is koinonia. The word for fellowship is koinonia. It's, it's fellowship in the spirit. It's through the spirit. By the way, uh, fellowship you know, surpasses skin color, economic backgrounds, educational divides, all those things, you know, but in Christ, there's a fellowship that is granted that, that just supersedes all of that because it's in Christ. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and breaking of bread, or literally communion, the mass. Uh, so now the thing is that they didn't have their own building. They didn't have a building like this. They were still using the temple and whatever they were allowed to be able to do. So they were breaking bread from house to house. In their homes, they were having communion and mass. They were celebrating this event, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ uh, together uh, in each other's home. And then the last thing, or the fourth thing, is the one we want to talk about today, and it's uh, to prayer. Now, I have a marginal note in the New American Standard Version of the Bible. It's literally to, to the prayers. What does that mean? There were certain times of prayer that was already established in Judaism. And um, they just continued to practice that. We don't know if it was because it was just a habit or it seemed like a good thing to do. Uh, we don't know if they used it maybe to evangelize or maybe it was just an opportunity for them to try to share Jesus with somebody. But they still met together at those uh, different hours of prayer. In Acts chapter 3, verse number 1, I'll show you an example now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. So here's the hours of prayer. We're going to put them on the screen for you, Carrie, if you're back there. I can't see. You are there. Okay. The third hour is, uh, okay, so, so the day begins at 6 a.m., sunrise. The, the, the night, I'm sorry, the uh, third hour would be 9 a.m. in the morning, and that's when the temple gates would open. They weren't. They were closed until 9 a.m. Then the ninth hour would be 3 in the afternoon. And the afternoon prayers was a time for confession. And then uh, finally, uh, the evening prayers were at sundown or 6 p.m. And that's actually the beginning of the new day for them. So the three hours of prayer, which by the way, they did have the number 12, but they didn't call it the 12th hour of prayer. They just said it's... Uh, you know, it's sundown or it's the beginning of the new day. Three hours of prayer that the Jews met together. So in um, uh, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, which would have been 3 p.m., the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When Peter and John were about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on them and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. 
But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And he seized him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were, talk, or they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's just think for a second, you know, how beautiful this uh, story is. Because a man who um, we'll find out later in this story, he's a middle-aged guy. And he's uh, been uh, lame all his life. And so they bring him and set him there at the temple. And, and Jews are commanded to be gracious and give their alms and give their, um, share their um, wealth with people who are less fortunate. So his job was begging. I mean, he did that every day of his life. Some days he probably got great alms. Some days he probably got really bad. And some people probably loved him. Some people hated him. Some people said, oh, you know, you need to get a job or something, you know. And um, fortunately today we have many ways we can employ people who are disabled. But in, in this day, there was not that provision so when Peter and John, the problem wasn't them not having any money. That's not, I mean, that, you know, the money comes and goes. But, but the ability to take him by the hand and say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk in. The guy stands up and is able to leap and dance and jump around. Guess what? The problem has been solved. He's now able to get a job. He's able to be married. He's able to have a family. I bet he would be probably more than willing to, uh, you know, say, Peter and John, you don't have any money. Let me go make some money and give it to you, you know. I, I don't know, but uh, I, the problem is solved. So many of our problems today don't have an answer, but God does. He does have an answer. And when you believe in healing and the ability of God to be able to heal someone, I'll never forget the very first time that I prayed for someone in a wheelchair, which was to me probably the scariest thing I had done, you know. So I just walked over, the next person in line was in a wheelchair, and um, I just blessed her in Jesus' name. I prayed for her, and I prayed for her healing. And after a minute or two, she interrupted me. And, and I said, what? She said, I want to stand up. And I was almost ready to say, I'm not finished praying, but, you know, gained my composure, said, you want to stand up? Well, sure, go ahead. Let me just move those little flaps and we, the pedals, the feet rest, move them out of the way. And she stood up, said, well, you know, you're halfway there. Why don't you just go ahead and walk? And she said, well, how about if I stand here and you bring the uh, wheelchair around in front of me and I'll just hold on to the handles? And I said, sure, whatever you feel like you should do. So we, we brought it around. She took the handles and she walked out the back door. 
Um, and the testimony was that she never returned to the wheelchair. Now, that... <clears throat> It's the greatest feeling in the world. I, I, but I, but, it, but there's, it's not always that. And, you know, um, you know, the Lord's never late. He just misses a lot of opportunities to be early, you know. And I, I've had other experiences. And, and um, during that one particular time, it was just such a, a wonderful healing time. We had partnered together with... Dr. Tom Becker, and we had these healing services in the church, and um, I think it was every Friday night for a while. It was great. We had lines and lines of people, that, and, and many of them were healed. Some of them came every time, and they were still looking for healing. But it, to me, that's just a microcosm. I mean, we saw a, a lady had cervical cancer. She was completely healed. And uh, I, we, I could just go on and on, but you know, sometimes the... the the kind of healing that people need is deeper than, than even physical. It's, it's emotional. It's, it's traumas. It's really deep inside. And it's not like you can test it to see if it works. You know, you have to just say um, what's going on while we're praying, you know. And so um, I've learned that, um, number one, I've never healed anyone. But I was present on many occasions when Jesus did. <laughs> you know, so I just got to be a part of it. And, and some of you have experienced that as well. And I, I can just imagine a group of people that are armed with the love of Jesus and the worship like we've just experienced. And the presence of God just go into the world with this knowledge that God can do anything. And, and you just take risks and take opportunities as God opens the doors. So we are talking about people that heal. And um, I, I just selected that title because I've just grown to have this conviction that we really ought to be taking communion like to the world. I, I, and I know that there's always parameters and guidelines and, and tradition and all of this about how we should do these things and who should be able to partake and I just feel like that somehow Jesus would love to see us just open that up and just rush into the world with communion and say, as uh, Jack Hayford said, uh, this is the meal that heals, you know? This is the meal that heals. We're just offering to you Jesus. What if we just offered you Jesus? And uh, whether you're qualified or not to take it, we'll let that between you and God. But, but anyway, I digress. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. And, and now, not the F word, but the P word, the prayer word. Let's talk about that. The prayers. It was a time of organized praying or corporate prayer. So what happens when the church prays corporately? Uh, David mentioned two events in D.C. Um, Gosh, so thankful for that, man. I wish I could have been there. And I'm tempted to think they probably ought to do two a day for a long time, you know. <laughs> two a day in, in Washington, D.C. for a while and, and, and see God heal the place, you know. But anyway, corporate prayer. Let's talk about that for a minute. What, does, what happens when a people purpose to pray together? What happens? 
Annie shared a story with me before the service. I'm not going to go into it unless you panic. But um, she she had shared with me that she was going to she's going to comfort someone, and as she's going to comfort someone, she uh, she just feels led by God to pray in the Spirit. In Acts chapter two, uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all together in this one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing, uh, uh, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. This is that 120 in the prayer meeting, right? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And the Jews that were there for the feast day were from 16 different uh, people groups. And they heard these 120 people who had just been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were all Galileans speaking in other languages that God gave them the ability to speak. We call that speaking in tongues or praying in the Spirit. And he said, I felt led to pray in the Spirit. And as I was praying in the Spirit, you know, she just, she had to make herself the discipline of just praying in the Spirit. And as she did that, um, well, she got to her destination. She found that everything had changed. I've, it's been my experience as well. And, and I don't have time to go into all of that. But... In a few minutes, I want to give you those kind words that I was uh, uh, talking about, and uh, it came from a similar time, Annie, of, of me praying in the Spirit. I asked the question, what happens when the church gathers and corporately prays? Well, here's what I believe happens. Well, let me tell you what I don't think happens. I don't think that we talk God into doing something that he doesn't really want to do. <clears throat> I, in my little bit of experience with God, I'm just going to tell you that I don't think he changes his mind much, you know. In fact, uh, I loved what Graham Cook said. Uh, Graham Cook said that one time the, he and the Lord were talking and uh, the Lord said to Graham, he said, look, one of us needs to change our position and I never do. That's been my experience. <clears throat> it's not stubborn. It's just when you're right, you're right, you know? And so when we pray, I don't think that we're convincing God to do something that he is resistant to do. So what is he looking for? What is it that he is looking for when we pray? Now, Jesus taught us that we should live lives that are pretty much carefree and trusting him and he would provide for us. Um, he also showed us that we should pray for the needs that we have and there, there's a reason to do that. But I don't think that God's a dis, like a dispensing machine, you know, it's like uh, we just say, oh God, would you do this? And he says, oh yes, I'd love to do that. And he answers your prayer. And so like there was a and there's an exchange, an interaction, like I'm on the earth and I ask God to do something. He's in heaven. He does something. And then I walk away happy. 
but I know myself, I'm fickle like you. And, you know, that doesn't make me happier, really. It, you know, my, my decision to live in joy and peace really is pretty much up to me. That's, that's something I have to maintain. Uh, I, I told you before, especially during this time, I, I fight being cynical like every day of my life because some of this stuff is just so hard to believe that it, you know, it can't all be true. So anyway, what does happen when we pray? Here's one thing I believe for certain. I believe that we can show you from the scripture that when, when, we, when the church speaks to God, then God speaks to the church. And I don't know about you, but that kind of changes everything. So we've been doing this. We call it Pray America. We've been praying every Wednesday night for a while. And uh, we've been praying for America. We've been praying with America. We've been praying as Americans. And uh, last week, we changed it up and prayed for Israel, you know. So, you know... so what happens when we gather together? And let me just tell you, if you've not been in this room for one of those prayer meetings, you, you got to be here some night. <laughs> it, and for everyone watching on, uh, online, I mean, I, we're doing our best to get to translate as well as we can out to you. And we're not trying to trick you. But I'm telling you, being in the building is different than being on, on the video. Yeah, I know for one thing, I like me better here than editing me. When I edit me, I don't like to edit me because <laughs> I would just get rid of it all. Really, I mean, you just <clears throat> let's put um, let's put Annie back up, you know. But the only thing is that. Uh, when we gather to pray and when the church is gathered to pray and we're starting to say something like, God, um, we are praying today uh, as we had on one night, we prayed for this divided nation, how divided we were over so many things. So we start saying, okay, God, like we don't know how to fix this. We, we don't know how to unite us. We don't know how to undivide us. So as we start praying, in the midst of that prayer, then God begins to speak to maybe all of us or some of us or someone. And then someone, someone takes the microphone and starts to say, you know, I hear the Lord saying, and then fill in the blank, you know. Well, when you have that piece of information, I don't know about you, but like, I know that, that God has always wanted to partner with mankind from the beginning. So when, when, when mankind begins to partner with God and starts to pray what he wants to be prayed, that's where Jesus taught us you should pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So if it isn't in heaven, but it's on the earth, it's something that is out of the will of God, generally speaking. 
Now, God lets all kinds of things happen. I get that. I understand that. But generally speaking, Jesus is teaching his disciples, you really ought to be saying, God, let your will be done here. Not, not mine, not ours, not someone's. What is your will? And once you have that, you have something really tangible to hold on to and then to begin to pray. And when you begin to pray what he already wills, and that partnership happens, you find God answers prayers much, much quicker than you might think or imagine. You say, well, Pastor, that some of those prayers are so big and so deep, it's like, how do you measure, you know, a, a result? I, you know, I pray, and then I look at the news, and I just, <laughs> it's like, is there any change? Is anything happening? Has anything occurred? Or what you guys send me, what people send me, text me or email me, when we've prayed about a situation, what feedback do we get? So what happens when the church prays? When we speak to God, he speaks to us. That's the first thing. The second thing that happens when we pray together corporately is that there is a multiplied I'm going to use the word synergistic, but it, like think of synergy, think of multiplication, think of a duplication uh, of power. Um, for example, Joshua was given a big assignment. The big assignment was, this is your land, Israel, walk in, take it over. Oh, but there's enemies there. You're going to have to conquer them, and then it's your land. I've given them years and years to repent. They haven't repented, so now it's your land. And he says, now here's the deal. When you're walking with me, one of your soldiers will be able to rout or to defend or to deflect a thousand enemy soldiers. And two of you, I can do math, you know. Two of you is two, no, two of you can rout 10,000. One a thousand to ten thousand. So when two or three, Jesus said, come together in my name, I come among them. I'm there in the midst of them. Yeah. So so when the church prays corporately, and I, of course, I'm talking about us getting together and praying, a personal prayer. I you know I'm I'm assuming. Uh, um, you know it's my deepest regret to tell you that it's only been three years that I personally <clears throat> have entered into a prayer journey where, where I set my face to seek God every day. Uh, you know, I've been around this thing quite some time. But, you know, sometimes uh, pastoring and uh, all the responsibilities that goes with it, it's just like everything will start to eat away at your time and your schedule. And the next thing you know, you just don't really have the time. So then I used what uh, you might be able to see over there is an hourglass. I just sit that thing on the table in front of the Lord and I say, okay, you got me for an hour. It's like I'm not moving until all the sand drops down. And that's how I began a prayer journey. And there's a tremendous benefit to praying daily by yourself. 
But when people who are praying daily come together and pray corporately, now we're talking about something else. If one can chase a thousand and two, ten thousand, there's a multiplied effect. And then praying repeatedly, repeatedly. And I didn't fully understand that until recently, but it's kind of this thing where if you, if you pray every day, some days you'll have an amazing event happen. My experience has been that's not most days. Most days it's, it's okay. Most days it's sort of a routine. Most days it's pretty normal. But then all of a sudden one day hits and you have something special happen, something, something very encouraging happen. When my brother, my youngest brother, um, worked in um, inventorying habitats of like someone's forest. Let's say someone owned some forest land and they wanted to develop some of it. He, his company would go in and inventory that land. He was out with a coworker one day and uh, the two of them got into a yellow jacket's nest and he got stung about two or three times. Now, he had been stung plenty before, but, you know, this time he started feeling unusual, decided he's going to go sit down. His buddy comes back and checks on him, and he can tell that Mark is in trouble. He rushes into the hospital uh, just in time because he had an allergic reaction and would have probably gone into cardiac arrest if they had not gotten to the hospital. And the doctor told him it wasn't those two or three stings that you got. It was the, the venom that's in your body after the course of a lifetime, having two or three stings here, two or three there, time and time and time again. And he hit this tipping point. And so like that last sting was just put him over the edge. They tell me that radiation treatments can be like that. You can have three treatments, the one treatment is bad the second one is bad but then you have the third one and it's not just the next one it's all three of them at once kick in so there's a a synergistic or a multiplied effect it's not hard to really understand but but when the church is praying regularly together corporately when we're doing this in a regular basis and and Boy, I can't be the only one saying, is this doing anything? Is there anything changing? But it's, it's not going to be that one prayer meeting or that two prayer meetings or that three prayer meetings. It's going to be one particular prayer meeting when all of a sudden there is a breakthrough. And um, the book of Acts is actually filled with examples of that. So when the church prays, I want you to think about this, and, and this is my encouragement for prayer. And by the way, this is a good time to say it because on Wednesday night, we're going to have a picnic. We're not going to have prayer. But the following Wednesday night, you can come and pray with us. But here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say to you is that when we gather together, the, the, America has a prayer, and it's in you, it's in me, it's in the church of Jesus Christ. When we gather locally nationally, globally, when we gather in every time zone and pray together, there's a multiplied effect. 
and it and it pushes past those things that the scriptures teach us they're actually probably demonic and strongholds of the adversary. So the resistance isn't God, it's actually there's an enemy that would love to destroy everything you hold dear. So if we want to be people that heal, not only devote yourself to the teaching and the fellowship and to a breaking of bread, but also devote yourself to prayer or the prayers, the gathered times of prayer. Now, let me just give you a few kind words and we'll be done. So in my um, personal prayer time, um, you know, I meet here most of the time at the church to pray in the mornings. And um, this week was no, not different than any other week. And uh, it was uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember. And uh, I think I told some of you I'm learning how to be quiet before the Lord. I'm learning how to not really request anything but just to set my heart to listen. And oftentimes I use the scriptures to do that. So I had prayed some psalms, which by the way, if you don't have a clue how to pray, get, get the psalms, open up in the middle of the Bible, find the psalms, start praying them. They're prayers and songs, prayers and songs. So you pray them. I prayed some of them, and then I walked over here about where David is sitting. I put my little cushion down there, and I sit down, and I say, okay, Lord, here I am. But before I started to sit down, I feel like the Lord says, today, I want you to pray in the Spirit. And I, was, I said, I thought I'm supposed to be quiet. And he said, today, I want you to pray in the Spirit. I'm like, okay. By the way, um, for those who want to um, get me a psychologist and it's not an audible voice you know um, but I do believe that God gives us impressions in our hearts that suddenly you start to realize it's him trying to speak to us and it's, it's, it's deeper than your own thoughts sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between your thoughts and his thoughts but I can always tell his thoughts because they're never what I would have thought. So, so uh, he said, I want you to pray in the spirit this time. So I did. And, uh, you know, I found out a long time ago that I can will to pray in the spirit. I can just actually choose to. So I just, you know, I mean, you think I'm close to going over the edge. I mean, I was here by myself and lifting my hands and just praying in the spirit. And, um, and for some reason, I felt like that he wanted it kind of loud, you know. I don't know what that changes. I don't know. I was into it, but, you know, if you can imagine your pastor in here with his hands raised, worshiping the Lord, praying in, in the spirit very, very loudly, and then all of a sudden, it went from like an act of my will to like he got a hold of me. And then it was a little like, I can't stop. Like, you know, something that you're not fully in control of. <laughs> well, I could have stopped at any time, but I'm, I, I don't think I want to, you know. <clears throat> 
rode a little bit of motorcycle. I don't like riding on the back. I like to have my hand on the handlebars. I like to be controlling the speed. Person in front of me, I'm holding on. They're controlling the handlebars and the speed. And that's kind of what I felt like was happening to me as I was praying. I'm just, you know, along for the ride. And as I began to uh, pray in the spirit, the Lord began to speak something to me. Now, it, it has to do with abortion, and I've got to qualify it. A couple of things you need to know. And number one, my very first official action of meeting any ministry uh, after becoming pastor was to go to our local crisis pregnancy center and say, what can we do to help? Why is that? Because in the 1970s, um, I heard Melody Green, Keith Green's uh, wife, uh, talking about the uh, horrors of abortion, and I, uh, I just felt, you know, that, that her message always stuck with me. So if I was ever in a place of influence, I would want to see what we could do. By the way, um, this was before Judy worked at the pregnancy center. Uh, we didn't know anyone. I went there and just introduced myself. And, um, and I, you know, I think of the horrors of abortion. There, there's so many. It's so deep. There's people that are hurt, women who are caught and trapped and, and um, don't know what to do, don't have support. And the last thing I want to do is make anyone who's ever had an abortion feel even worse. But, but I'm going to just tell you that I've been a supporter of the pro-life movement for a long time. I really have. But Judy will tell you that she and I can sometimes be at odds or not quite on the same, you know, page on some of it. I mean, she she's taking it to another level, you know, exactly. Probably I should be there. But, um, but anyway, um, so it's not like the foremost thing in my mind. It, you know, it's always there, but it's not the foremost thing in my mind. I wasn't thinking of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her death. I wasn't thinking of any of those things. There was nothing to make me think the way I was thinking. And when all of a sudden, as I am speaking, the Lord speaks to me and God says, I am done with abortion. I am done with it. it, it and, and there was a sense that, that, that God just hit his tipping point. It's like, like you can read in the Bible that there's times when God forbears, he lets things happen, and, and after a while, he just gets to a point where this is enough. And, and uh, so he said to me, I'm so done with abortion, and he said, I'll push anyone out of the way that stands in my way, but I'm done with it. And, and I'm like, okay, so I don't really know what to do with that, but I, <clears throat> you know, go for it, God, <laughs> you know. Um, Go for it. And then he said the, uh, another thing that was just as outlandish and just as far from my mind is, and he said, I'm, and I'm, I'm finished with this divorce. Now, when I say divorce, he, he was talking about between us and himself, this country and himself, this people and himself. God is actually really ready to see us reconcile to himself. And uh, it set me on a journey. I mean, like right away I started going back to Malachi 
which I'd love to teach from that really soon. But, uh, you know, the last book of the Old Testament in, in Malachi, Malachi was given a very difficult job, which was to call the people of Israel back to God. They had been in rebellion. He's calling them back. And, uh, you know, what he does is he, he, he starts to share with them the things that they have said in their heart. So God knows those things. He starts to share them with them and then answer their questions, you know. It, for example, uh, it, Malachi starts out by saying, uh, and you say, I don't love you. And he says, but I'm telling you, I have chosen you, you know. And then he says the unthinkable Jacob, I have chosen. Esau, I have hated. I chose you. Like, you can't get any more love than that. Okay, and, and a couple of verses later, he's going to say, and I hate divorce. Now, so do I. And, and forgive me, if you've had a divorce, it's not the point. The point is that God is tired of the divorce between us. But the, the issue that was in front of me is remembering that Ezra, the Old Testament scribe, called the people of God back to God at a former time when their temple had been destroyed, their land had been destroyed, and they had been carried away captivity, and now they've come back home. And when they came back home, they came with their foreign wives, and these foreign wives were idolaters. And so he said, you need to let them... The, the, the wives and the children let them go. But now in, in Malachi's case, he, he says, you know, those foreign wives, don't divorce them. You, you need to keep them close and protect them and take care of them. And, and then he goes on to say, but you, the divorce isn't between you and your wives. It's between me and you, you know. So um, read Malachi. It's a good read. My few kind words, and I'll be done, is really pretty much this, that God's getting ready to do something about abortion, apparently, and, and he's really not happy with the divorce that's been between us and, and him. So that being said, this is a great time for the church to pray. You know? <laughs> Why don't you stand up with me <clears throat> now? I could sugarcoat it. I could say, uh, don't eat the pie. <laughs> but I think what he's actually asking us to do is to say, okay, we don't even know the way back, God. We don't even know how to get back to where we should be. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's honest. I think that's the place to start is with honesty is to just say, God, we're a mess, and we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to move forward. So we need your help. We need your help. Brothers and sisters, I am not, well, let me just say it this way. I'm a very flawed person. I'm not trying to pretend anything, but I tell you what, I thank the Lord for his love, his grace, and his mercy and his patience with us. I would not make it without his grace and mercy.
This country does not need judgment. We don't need another fire. We don't need another riot. We don't need another uh, hurricane. Um, I, I can't tell you if those are judgments for God, from God or not. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. I believe with all my heart that God wants to be kind to us. I believe that he wants to speak words, kind words to us. I believe that he wants to call us back to himself. And he wants us to open up and just say yes. Oh, God. Whatever that means. Just say yes to God. So I'm going to pray. And, and then I'm just going to ask you to consider like how you might need to respond to the Lord this morning. By the way, if you're wondering, you know, what, you know, what, what does Pastor Rich actually think of us, you know? <laughs> I think you're the greatest people in the world, but I'm, I'm not the one that you should worry about. just think that sometimes God is misunderstood because he is so long suffering that sometimes we mistake the long suffering of God for his acceptance and, and I I think we probably ought to just say, oh, God, I'm a mess. I don't profess anything. I'm a sinner, and I need your grace and your mercy. Father, I thank you for this day, this hour, this opportunity, what we've experienced in this room today, your peace, your power, your presence, your, your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy, and a few kind words. Lord, I'm willing to concede that our traditions, both American and Christian, might get in the way of our total affection and devotion and obedience to you. So we, we need you to help us. We need you to guide us through. Because the funny thing about tradition is you inherit it. Unless there's a, a moment when the Holy Spirit creates a conviction in our heart. And I just feel like we're at that moment right now where I was sort of indifferent about abortion. But now I feel like that you're asking for us to be absolutely convicted that this practice, as it has been practiced, needs to change. And we need to be reconciled to you. So, Father, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to pray for the whole lot of us here this morning. Please forgive us. 
Forgive us from our misguided, self-righteous ways. Forgive us for... Man, there are so many things that we put on you that's not from your heart. It's, it's out of our heart. And we accuse you of things that you would never dream of. So I, I ask that you forgive us, oh Lord. I ask that you would show us the way home. You would show us the way home. We, we ask that you would never take your Holy Spirit from us. Let your spirit continue to guide and to direct us. So, what, you know, what, whatever sin that, that I'm comfortable with in my life right now, I'm asking that you would create a conviction in me that about something that's really, really offensive to you. Forgive us of our sins. I'm not talking just about like missing the mark. I mean, we all do that. I mean our iniquities, our impurities, the whole lot of it, our transgressions, Lord. Forgive us. You know what, folks, while we're praying here, I'm just... I'm just sensing the Lord is just reminding us of the cross where Jesus cried, Father, forgive them. They, they know not what they're doing. So we accept your forgiveness. We accept your forgiveness. We accept your love and your kindness. We accept your discipline and your correction. We accept we receive your words. We, we accept them. We embrace them, Lord. Even the things we don't know or don't understand, Lord, we just want to go to a place where, like, I really just want to put myself under, under the scriptures, under relationship with God. So show us how to live. Show us how to live. Show us how to heal. Show us how to heal others, Lord. This day, in Jesus' name we pray. And one last thing before we finish this thing. I, I really believe with all my heart that one of the things that Peter and John and James and the rest had to learn was that their temple where they worshiped, the place where they worshiped, you know, as a nation. The Spirit of God had left that temple and come across town and entered into the people in that prayer meeting. They didn't have to go to that temple anymore. They were the temple. Why should we pray? We're the temple of God. We, we become the ones who carry the presence of God. So then we get to pray. 
We don't have to. We get to. Amen? Judy, why don't you come and pray a dismissal prayer? So um, before I pray, I just want to give you an opportunity to actually um, maybe do something that would be tangible to support the local pregnancy center, um, and that is our Walk for Life is this Friday evening. There's some pledge forms on the back table if you want to get some sponsors, just come and support life. Um, and God, I just thank you. I thank you that you hear cries of your people I thank you that we get to um, partner with you we get to be um, those who come and join you in what you want to do here on earth but I thank you as your bride we are your bride the church is your bride and I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves as your bride. We would slip our arm into yours, and we would, we would say, I will go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be the person you want me to be. I will take you to a world that needs to know the love of God. And so, Jesus, we just thank you for all that you have done and all that you want to do. And we so much want to be a part of what you're doing in this day and in this hour. So send us forth with your power, with your anointing, with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.